Welcome to the Green Element Podcast, where business and sustainability come together. Hi, Peter. Thank you very much for um, joining the Green Element Podcast. Um, I guess, start off with, tell us a bit about yourself and tell us a bit about um, Forster and what it is that you guys do. And um, yeah, I can't wait to hear more. Yeah, of course. Great. Well, it's lovely to be here. Um, so Forster has been around for getting on for 22 years now. Um, we call ourselves the Social Change PR Agency, and we were born out of the Body Shop, actually. So uh, in 1996, the Body Shop was sold to L'Oreal, and uh, our founder, Judy Forster, who was then the comms director for the Body Shop, she wanted to create a PR agency that worked in the same way as the Body Shop did, which was it was devoted to social and environmental change, but it was a for-profit business. And that's how we were born, and that's how we've operated ever since. So uh, we only work on communications projects that have some form of discernible positive change at their heart, whether it's environmental, cultural, whatever that may may be. Um, And we're unusual, I suppose, in one way, in that we also try and make sure that we walk and talk. So if we're going to communicate around um, social change, uh, environmental issues and others, then we want to make sure that we are beyond best practice ourselves as a business. Mm. That's the approach that we've always taken. Um, I've been here for 10 years. I'm one of the directors at Forster. And we're now employee-owned, so I'm also one of the owners of Forster. And that's one of the areas where we've actually tried to really live our values in terms of being much more inclusive with our, with our employees. Um, Judy's still involved. She's, again, one of our shareholders. and She's a, an informed advisor to the board. Um, we're relatively small. Based in central London, there's just short of 20 of us. Um, and we've got a real mixture of clients from public, private, and voluntary sectors. Ah, brilliant. So what would you, um, what would you say your business superpower was? Uh, well, I don't think we've got a superpower. <laughs> that might be a superpower. <laughs> um, I'd say the, probably the biggest area of strength for us is that we use behavioral insights and an understanding of people to drive both the work we do for our clients, but also our, our own approach to uh, our own policies and practices and our own purpose, really. So we've done a huge amount of work on understanding what it is that both motivates us and obstructs us from doing the right thing. Mm. Uh, so that understanding of audiences, where they are and their relationship to a particular issue or approach means that everything we do is grounded in the reality of people's lives. Uh, so rather, we never produce stuff that tells people what they should do. We produce stuff that attempts to create a sort of dynamic relationship between them and the issue we're trying to engage them on. So I'd say of, of all the things we do, that's probably our superpower. Okay. Brilliant. Okay. And how, how do you engage your staff, supplier, customers with your mission and purpose? I mean, what's, what sort of things do you do to um, embrace, embrace that? Yeah, there's a, there's a few things. It's um, built into our culture from day one. So it's, a, in fact, even before day one, it's a key aspect of our recruitment mm. program that we're looking for people who have the same shared values and approach as we do. Um, we set a lot of store in communicating some of the practical ways we've committed to social change ourselves. So we're a B Corp, for example, um, and we are one of the founding B Corps in the UK, mm. which was for us, a really easy decision because we'd effectively been operating like a vehicle without the label since we were. Yeah, yeah. And so a key aspect of how we embed what we do is 
that it's written through us like a stick of rock. It's part of our existing, uh, all of our existing um, content. It's part of our employer's manual that goes out to everybody. We've got this little book, really the book of Forster, that explains to people um, who we are, why we are, and the approach that we take. Mm. And when it comes to our customers, what I said to you, you know, at the beginning, that we are the social change communications and PR agency. Uh, that's part of everything that uh, we communicate out to customers, suppliers, employees, and others. Mm. And it also dictates where and the nature and type of work that we get. So we will only work on something where we can discern that form of social change within it, which means that we're unusual in that we turn down quite a lot of work from um, potential clients because it doesn't fit that particular criteria. Mm. Uh, and that is probably the biggest demonstration both internally and externally to our commitment to delivering social change. That's interesting. Do you, um, how do you, I mean, how do you discern what work to turn down and what work to do? Is it a team decision? Is it led from top down or uh, what? Team decision, uh, we, when we get a new briefing or an opportunity, we'll discuss it both amongst the senior leadership team and uh, we have a regular Monday morning meeting where we get everybody together and we'll talk about potential leads that are coming. Um, in most cases, it's pretty obvious. Mm. Um, the organisation itself has got social purpose embedded within it, like, for example, a registered charity. Um, or it's clear on the aspect of the work we might have been asked to do by a for-profit business, and that's what it's for. Uh, if there's any um, doubt over it, or even any debate over it, then we will use an external consultant to just do a quick landscape review of that organisation and what they're trying to achieve and ask them to take a judgment on whether they feel there is some discernible form of social change at the heart of what they're asking us to do. Uh, and that probably happens, I would say, maybe four times a year. Right. Okay. It's built on our existing experience and insights. And also, it's partly built on the filter of the type of work that comes through to us. If you know us, you know not to send us a commercial, an entirely commercial brief, because you know, <laughs> we wouldn't be very good at it. And go to it. So... And we don't actually get that many projects coming through that don't fit the bill in terms of social change. And I guess what's on the tip of a lot of tongues at the moment is, do you have enough work? Like, is that, is, is that a viable option for you? Is it, or I guess you can be as candid as you like on the answer to that, but it's what I would imagine, and it's what I'm thinking is, wow, that's brilliant, but... Yeah, so I suppose the... The, the proof of the pudding's in the eating. We've been going for 22 years mm. at structure on that basis. Um, we have, from a purely commercial perspective, consistently made things harder for ourselves <laughs> like around what we do. Mm. Uh, I, think the, the, uh, I think the ultimate gauge of whether it's successful or not is the fact that we are still here. Yeah, yeah. Within the area that we work, over the last, certainly over the last eight to nine years, a huge number of priorities have either gone to the wall got subsumed into a larger organizations uh, or completely changed out of recognition from where they were and we haven't we've sort of endured yeah. um, business uh, because we're a B Corps we have to give equal weighting to our, all of our stakeholders and our impact in terms of our financial performance environmental performance uh, community performance and social performance and as it stands we are doing okay on all of those areas mm. uh, so uh, we make a profit every year and have done so apart from one year, I think in the last 10 years, uh, but we don't make a very big profit. 
Uh, and I'd say over the last five years, it's been, I think, as it has been for any small business, a real challenge to make sure you get enough work through the door and that you've got the right resources, um, people and skills internally to deliver it. So yeah. never easy. Um, if you want to do what we do and you want to make a big pile of money, then you're doing the wrong thing. <laughs> that's, not the, that's not the game we're in. We're in the game of delivering change and remaining a profitable, sustainable business. But in no way do we make excessive or even impressive profit. When it comes to running an ethical and sustainable business, what, what do you reckon your biggest struggle so far has been? And can you tell us a bit about how you've overcome it? Um, well, there was a, we had a specific uh, difficulty going on for nine years ago now, um, where we, for probably from about 2002 to about 2010, in fact, um, we did a lot of work within the public sector. Um, under the Labour administration, there was a big investment and focus on social marketing, as it was called. How do you use behaviour change techniques and communications to drive positive change around people's health, around uh, use of drugs, uh, pregnancy, all sorts of different issues. Uh, and that was all coordinated through a central uh, office in government, the COI. Uh, we were on the right roster and we got a lot of work that and we grew quite big actually at one stage we were getting on for nearly 50 employees right and really good work mm. towards the end of um that decade so 2008 2009 uh, we sort of recognized two things really we'd recognize that we were over reliant on public sector work mm. um, and that if there was any sort of downturn or change in government policy or approach that we were slightly exposed mm. um, and we recognized that the nature and type of work that we were doing wasn't always wasn't always the area of interest and passion for us, mm. nor was it always necessarily delivering the sort of change we were looking to deliver. So we made a conscious decision around about 2008, which is actually where I came from, to try and uh, build up uh, a stronger customer base within the voluntary sector, because we saw that there was more going on there, there was more scope for us to deliver good work. And um, that's my background. From the voluntary sector, and I came in from another similar agency to really help bolster and build up the area. Okay. We were successful and, and really started to rebalance where we were. Uh, but um, we were caught a little bit, we were caught out a little bit by the change of government in 2010. We were expecting a change, but not necessarily the change that we had. And we were expecting a slowdown in the public sector work, but in fact, the tap was turned off overnight. Right. I pretty much disbanded, and all of that work came to a halt. So we were in a situation where we had to go through a redundancy process, really painful. Um, we made a commitment because of the nature of our business that we would do everything we could to find anybody we made redundant another job. Um, and we did. Okay. It, it came at some, at, at some cost. It took a long time to mm -hmm. go through a particular process. Uh, and a redundancy process and getting smaller is not an easy thing to do when you're a consciously um, ethical and progressive business mm. and it would be painful because we had to um, we had to let go of people that had been working at Forza for a long time mm. and it it really just grated in terms of having a progressive value set having to go through that process I think what we learned from there was a don't be over reliant on a particular type of time mm. and b make sure that we go through a period where we're looking at what growth means for us and achieve the growth that we want to achieve. So we got bigger, uh, the work didn't necessarily get better. Uh, we ended up in a situation where 
perhaps some of us were managing the business more than we were delivering the work. So we, over the last few years, we've consciously decided that we don't necessarily want to get any bigger in terms of headcount, mm. in terms of income. And we want to make sure that we're delivering as much as possible the very best quality work that delivers the biggest impact. And that's been our, that's pretty much been the, what we've been trying to preach over the last eight, nine years. Brilliant. And when it comes to reducing your environmental impacts and carbon footprint of your business, what would you say your biggest challenge or frustration has been? Um, so we're a pretty simple business with a relatively small carbon footprint, hmm. uh, single site uh, office, um, and we deliver a service as opposed to producing a product or delivering a piece of infrastructure. So um, for us, reducing our environmental impact means we start from a fairly low base. Um, we've always focused on trying to do more than what the standards might apply to us. So mm. we've gone through various different ISO and environmental standards. But actually, the thing that drove the biggest change for us was to find something that was truly progressive in terms of how we could benchmark ourselves. And the first thing we used was um, uh, Britain's, uh, sorry, Britain's Greenest Business which was an initiative that was co-sponsored by the Sunday Times a few years back. Uh, we decided we were going to use that as our external benchmark and to see how we could get on. Right. Uh, and lo and behold, we, we won. We were Britain's greenest business 2009, <laughs> which it was great, but also an indication of perhaps how low the barrier was <laughs> at the time to be seen as a consciously green business. And we'd achieved that primarily through doing all the stuff that everybody else does, how you, how you reduce your output in terms of clever use of supply chain, mm. uh, how to make sure that you dot the I's and cross the T's in terms of um, infrastructure, utilities, provision, and elsewhere. And we've done all of those. But we probably had, the reason we won the award was that we applied some of our behavior change principles to how we delivered our work, to how we go about on an everyday basis delivering what force communications does. So a good example um, was how we moved around so most of our clients are in zone one they're in central london um, and like many pr agencies in the past uh, we used to get around a lot uh, either on public transport uh, or cabs mm. taxis uh, you know they're underpinned by consultancy firms flinging themselves around london yeah, very yeah. meetings uh, we decided that was an area that we could really make a difference so uh, we looked at what were the practical barriers to encouraging our staff to um, improve more active travel, get them walking and cycling more, both to and from work, but also during work. Uh, and what came out of it was uh, a few things. Some people were lacking in confidence mm. on using a bike or even walking around central London. So we provided free um, cycle training and cycle confidence training. Uh, we also matched up uh, newbies who wanted to start commuting on a bike with experienced cyclists already in the company who would go and meet them. Um, for their first week or so and lead them in and also lead them home so they had somebody who could show them the ropes in terms of cycling. Uh, some people didn't have a bike or didn't necessarily want to bring a bike into central London so we bought four Brompton pool bikes which we still have they're upstairs in our reception right now um, which anybody can pick up and use whenever they want they're fully serviced and we provide anything you need mm. your, your travel around including a Brompton bag for your laptop for months. Um, and then we incentivized um, really carefully to make sure that we provided incentives for people above and beyond the material stuff so uh, we pay 50p a mile if you cycle or walk for business work okay. uh, 
go to a meeting and it's three miles away, then that's one pound fifty, and we'll pay that straight to you. Yeah. Trust. There's no requirement for you to produce any sort of evidence that you've walked or cycled mm. for a small business. We don't need to over. Yeah. Over bureaucracy around it. There's a trust element. Mm. Um, and we also encourage staff to commute on bike or on foot by offering extra holiday. So if you commute um, on foot or bike uh, throughout the year, you'll get two extra days of holiday. This is the bit I love. I heard about it the other day talking to one of you guys. <laughs> so the, the, everybody loves those bits because they're incredibly simple, mm. they're incredibly accessible, and they sound very generous. Yeah. And they, uh, but uh, they work. From a business perspective, we have probably got the lowest taxi bill of any PRH or any professional consulting mm. firm in London. I can almost guarantee it. And we hardly use public transport. We mm. have over 40% uh, of us commuting regularly uh, by bike to and from work. Um, and we have a huge number of us using bikes or going on foot to meetings. Mm. So the money that we pay out and the additional costs around holiday are easily outweighed by the business benefit. Yeah. Even taking regard for what the health and wellbeing benefit is for our staff. Mm. And we know what the health and benefit um, is because we do um, regular um, health and wellbeing surveys of our staff as well. Brilliant, brilliant. So, what got you interesting, interested in, um, and were you always interested in this kind of sector or sustainability as a whole, or, um, or was it something that you'd grown more into as your career progressed, or was it a passion from the beginning, or, you know, tell us a bit about yourself and what you... So, in my case, it's always been there. Um, so, uh, I left university a very, very long time ago. Uh, About three years ago, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, a couple of decades ago. <laughs> and uh, it was during the last recession, uh, and I had an English degree, which was absolutely useless for any form of meaningful. <laughs> and so I went off and became a TEFL teacher. Went off to Greece, had a great time, when I taught in Russia, various other places. Came back and ended up, almost by accident, running um, summer language schools in the UK. Mm. And then also marketing these summer language schools of British education abroad. And it was great, you know, I was, in, I was young, I was in Brighton, I had a cracking time, good wages. Uh, gnawing at the back of my mind was whether this was uh, either making much of a difference, making me happy, or really that ethical. Mm -hmm. um, and turns out the answer was no to all of those things. So <laughs> the way the, way the um, British education system works in terms of setting it overseas is entirely unethical. Uh, I really didn't like it. Um, I didn't like the idea of telling people they were going, heading to Cambridge for the summer with pictures of leaving spires and then putting them into the polytechnic just down the road. That just right. fit well with me. So I decided I was going to make a change. Um, and I became a volunteer care supporter for uh, disabled students at Coventry University. So I went off for a year to Coventry University um, and just provided physical and learning support to disabled students. Loved it, really enjoyed it. I thought, right, how do I build a career um, where I'm working for or with people who are getting over a particular challenge or an issue? Mm. Uh, and then ended up working for a volunteering charity called CSV, Community Service Volunteers, where I wangled my way into a marketing position with them. I then, through various jobs, spent the next eight to nine years in the voluntary sector, uh, working my way up to become a head of communications and ended up uh, an initiative called The Giving Campaign. Um, which was an initiative at the beginning of the 2000s to really promote charitable giving in the UK. 
Um, and uh, my biggest claim to fame was I developed the Gift Aid brand. So if you see the words Gift Aid, it's written. Um, oh, wow. That's pretty cool. That's a very cool claim to fame. <laughs> and that's really, that was added value for you. <laughs> uh, and that, uh, that really piqued my interest. And I used a few agencies in that role, one of whom was Forster. Um, and I really loved Forster. I loved their ethos. I thought, oh, I'd love to work for them someday. Uh, they had absolutely no interest in me at the time. <laughs> I went off to another agency I knew called Geronimo, uh, spent four years there, then went back to see Gilly uh, because at Geronimo I loved the work. I didn't like the fact that they were a PLC, part of this wider company. Uh, there was always this terrible this restriction around how ethical and progressive you could be because you always had to uh, feed the mouth in terms of producing income for the PLC. So I moved on from there because Forster offered me a job to come in and help set up this financial sector practice. Mm. And I just found my home. It's perfect because um, it's got the same desire that I have to do interesting work that makes a difference. I mean, no different from almost anybody else. But there's very little downtime at Forster. There's very little work that you might deliver where you think, well, this is, I'm doing this because the good stuff is just around the corner. It's mm. pretty good stuff and that's a pretty rare working environment to find yourself in so i will cling on here until they drag me out the door <laughs> brilliant um, how do you think our listeners could get started and understand how to be more sustainable and yeah so uh, in terms of sustainability just walk on the shoulders of everybody else there's so much that's already out there mm. um, i think one of the important things is try and find a peer business who uh, has similar product or service or context or landscape to the one that you're operating in. Mm -hmm. uh, buddy up, find out how they've approached things. We, for example, uh, produce our own impact report every two years. So if you're a comms agency or a consultancy, you want to see how we've approached it, then on our website, you'll find for the last um, 10 years, uh, there are sustainability reports that really outline the approach that mm -hmm. we take. Um, B Corps, an amazing uh, source of inspiration, advice, and resource uh, through the B Lab um, guys who are uh, mm. based in the UK, and then also looking at B Corps from around the around the world. And then uh, we tend to look for inspiration through our sector media. So if we see somebody who's, who's doing something interesting or has had a good idea, then we will be inspired by it and either rip it off or try and come up with something similar that we might be able to implement here. The key thing for us actually is to be constantly pushing. So um, we, every year we have our away day with our own team and we just ask ourselves, uh, what is it we want to be known for next year? What is it that's going to, what's coming next? And how do we um, make sure that we're generally progressive and pushing the envelope? So last year, for example, we decided uh, we were going to adopt some SDGs. So we're a tiny business, there's 90, 20 employees uh, based in a single office in London. And we thought, well, for us, the big game in town are the SDGs, the Sustainable Development Goals. Um, and any progressive business that doesn't know or doesn't necessarily benchmark itself to how we're doing against those SDGs is missing out. Yeah. Three SDGs, uh, one around health, one around um, equality, and one around fair work. Uh, and we're trying to make sure that we are beyond best practice in terms of our own policies and practices in, that area, in those areas but also they're driving our new business. Mm. And we're consciously looking to work in areas and with clients who can help to develop those new SDGs. And it's been a really, really good thing to do because one of the big challenges when you've been around as long as we have is you, you just 
there's a danger that you just become a bit too comfortable in your own shoes um, and a bit complacent and you start to regress in some ways. That's the key actually to be to re really sustainable. What, what we've learned through us, obviously the work we do for others, is unfortunately progress often comes with regression. Mm. But unless you're constantly topping up and constantly coming up with new ways to reframe that particular issue and to inspire people to get involved, then gradually, 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 uh, fewer and fewer people progress on it. So we're constantly reinventing our cycling and walking, for example, because you need to hear it every year in a different or refreshed way. Otherwise, it becomes invisible to you. So annoyingly, being progressive means you're constantly having to <laughs> battle and do things uh, to top things up. Brilliant. So what would you like people to take away from this? What, what's the one thing that you'd like people to do after this podcast? Um, so I suppose the, the one thing is we're a good testament to the idea that you can be sustainable in every sense mm -hmm. as a business. We are financially sustainable, uh, environmentally sustainable, or as sustainable as we think we can be currently, mm -hmm. um, and socially progressive. Mm -hmm. So often those things are presented in opposition or as either or things. You can either be a financially successful business or you can be a progressive business or you can be environmentally or more broadly sustainable. Um, for us, we are probably an ex a really good test case for the ability to be all of those things um, over a fairly long period. Mm. The sector we work in is fairly volatile. There aren't that many businesses like us that have survived for more than two decades. So I think if you're gonna take one away one thing, it's you can do it. Mm. But the key thing to doing it is to constantly redo it the whole yeah. time. Brilliant, brilliant. And what's the best way that we can connect with you and learn more? Um, we'll put all, all of the website links and stuff on the website anyway and on the podcast notes. Yeah, of course. So the, the best way is uh, our website, a bit of a treasure trove, loads of stuff there in our blog archive uh, and our reports and publications around all sorts of issues. Um, to connect with us on social, so uh, we uh, pump out an awful lot of stuff on Twitter and LinkedIn. Uh, we're just naturally curious, we're always sharing and signposting other people's uh, stuff and resources, opinions, etc. Um, and then uh, give us a ring because uh, we're always up for a meeting and a chat. If you're a business and you're looking to do what we do or to re-inspire people or you just want to chat with a like-minded uh, organisation, then we're always up for that. Brilliant. Brilliant. Well, thank you very much for your time today, Peter. Thank you very much. Yeah, pleasure. Thanks so much for listening. We created this podcast for you. So we'd really appreciate any feedback you want to give us. You can do that by rating and reviewing on your favourite podcast. Or for iTunes, visit www.greenelement.co.uk forward slash Apple. If you'd like to keep in touch, then we invite you to join our free Facebook community, which is everything to do with sustainable and ethical business. Lots of daily conversations, themes and great ideas. A really great place to work and network with like-minded individuals. If you open Facebook and search for the green element, hit the group search function, we will let you right in. All of the show notes, any links, any references to the, on this podcast will be featured on our website, greenelement.co.uk. As a special thank you for listening, please head over to www.greenelement.co.uk forward slash podcast 2018 and you can pick up a free guide on how to 
green up and environmentalize your business or organization. That's greenelement.co.uk forward slash podcast 2018. Finally, I would like to thank Ben Chatwin for writing the fantastic opening music. He is an amazing artist with a phenomenal following. It was a privilege he said yes to even write it for us. We look forward to seeing you next week and hope you have a wonderful day.